Welcome to Everyday Elevations. I'm your host, Jason Fricka, and I'll be taking you on a journey towards holistic health, discovering the power of transformation through expert interviews, in-depth research, actionable advice, and personal growth stories. Welcome back to Everyday Elevations, the podcast where we transform ordinary moments into extraordinary outcomes. So today I'm very, very excited because I have my good friend here. We met back in 2020. His name is Dr. David Shiner. We met at a, for lack of a better term, an adult day camp to help strengthen our mental toolkits. It was part of a Build Your Life resume program. And that was back in 2020. And so since that time, David and I have talked on and off through the years, and he actually helped coach me to where I am today. He helped me create my vision for where I want to be in life. So he's a huge factor in how I transformed and I'm still transforming today. So now David himself, he is a spiritual intuitive guide. He's a meditation teacher, a growth shop leader, an author, a chiropractor, a transformational life coach, and a speaker amongst many, many other things. So he shares tried and true ancient heart-based methods to help enlighten you and the world itself. Now, David has been able to have the pleasure of sharing his growth shop wellness with many different spiritual and transformational messages through companies like IBM, GE, Home Depot, Delta Airlines, Colgate, the Weather Channel, of course, Build Your Life Resume, and so, so many others, including various college universities. Today, I just want to welcome David, and I'm so grateful that you're on here. I'm so grateful I've met you in my life. With that, David, I'd really love to introduce yourself and talk a little bit about your background and how you actually got into this whole spiritual guidance. Well, thanks for having me, Jason. It's a pleasure to be here. And well, I'll take it all the way back to... When I was born, I was supposedly premature. I think we all show up when we're supposed to, but I was three weeks, quote unquote, early. And so right off the bat, I was put into an incubator in the hospital. So when you have some jaundice, it's also known as bilirubin disease. Then they put you under this light, similar to if you're going to a tanning shop. So I was under these tanning lights for three weeks. I my legs were crossed and my arms were behind my head. I was just sunning myself, you know, really nice and comfortable. But I didn't get to meet my parents because they don't allow uh, human beings into that area because, oh, yeah, the baby has to develop. So I was held and bottle fed through three weeks and many shifts of nurse nursing staff. And so I bonded with these nurses, but I didn't have that close connection with my mother my father until I was able to be taken home. And I guess I didn't know who they were. Right. And so from the beginning, I was wondering, you know, what's this all about? Now, I know people are going to think, well, how do you remember all the way back then? It's not so much that I remember when I was born and in that incubator for three weeks, there's some photos of it. And then I started thinking, well, if that's my first exposure to the world, and not being held by, you know, a parent, mother, breastfed or anything like that, then I guess in search of my identity kind of from the beginning. So that's where it started. And then I did grow up in a very tumultuous, dysfunctional, traumatic, toxic home as a child, all the way up until I left for college. There was a lot of drugs and alcohol and 
things of this nature. So it had me question, what is this life all about? Who am I even? And why am I in this environment where there's so much abuse, mostly emotional abuse, you know, and then being around, you know, a father who was an alcoholic and a drug addict and all of these things. So that set the stage for a lot of self-inquiry. My mother and I became very close. I had a hard time connecting with people. And I want to give a shout out to my friend, John Samnick, who is also in the Build Your Life resume community. And we grew up together on Long Island in the same grade. And he more recently has been a mentor and exposed me to some great things that he's been through that's helped him. Although that's from my early on being born and growing up in that type of environment set the stage for me to go on this quest. So with that, I know we've talked a little about this past, but for your spiritual journey itself, did that begin right around the college time frame, or was it something where you were kind of in search of it prior to with all the tumultuous nature of, of your childhood? Was it something where your family was still pretty spiritual or did you kind of just morph into a person who became spiritual because you were looking for something more? Yeah, a combination of all these things. However, my mom and I became very close due to the unhealthy, toxic nature of the family environment. So we kind of went on this spiritual quest together and would have deep conversations. I was probably 11, 12, 13, 14, and what have you. And then she read some really profound books that she had on the bookshelf and started handing them to me. I remember the first one is from an author whose name is Alan Cohn, and he's very well known in spiritual realms and also a book called A Course in Miracles. He has based a lot of his work off of that book, although he wrote a book called The Dragon Doesn't Live Here Anymore. So I read that book. My mom's like, oh, you like that one. You read it pretty quick. I said, yeah. And she gave me another book called Jonathan Livingston Seagull by Richard Bach, which is a book about a seagull that kind of branched away from all the other seagulls and went to find his purpose and then came back to the flock, to the herd, so to speak, of seagulls and let them know that there's this all this beauty beyond the horizon if we're just willing to fly out far enough. So my mom was a great initiator for me on the spiritual quest and then when I went to undergraduate school in upstate New York, I got exposed to some things and my mom would bring some Native American spiritual elders to our home a couple of times a year for Native American workshops. And I was exposed to some amazing teachings as a young teenager. And then when I went to chiropractic college, I ended up getting involved in a spiritual group. It was a 15-year experience where there was a teacher who brought teachings that I had never heard of because they mostly come from the remote mountains of the Far East. He just happened to be here at the same period of time I was down in, in Atlanta for chiropractic college. So I was fortunate enough to be able to be exposed to all of those. And, and, then, and then after that, I studied with Eckhart Tolle and Marianne Williamson, who wrote an amazing book called A Return to Love. Other authors who have been teachers and mentors of mine, one that I'll 
that comes to mind is Leo Buscaglia, who his whole body of work is is about love. And then, of course, Wayne Dyer and friends such as Joe Dispenza, who's a chiropractor and very well known right now. We went to the same chiropractic college. So, yeah. Well, that's awesome. So it's, it's cool that you got exposed to all this at such a young age and that your mom was intuitive enough to figure out what actually catch your interest. Because you said she gave you a bunch of books and initially it didn't sound like you were really catching on to some of them. But then when she found you, I can't recall the title, but the dragon book and then the seagull book, she found what was actually working for you. So she nurtured that spiritual guidance. I'm curious because you said you had, your mother had Native Americans over to do various, was it rituals or, or something you said? I want to hear a little bit more about that because that sounds fascinating to me. Like what type of teachings did you get there? Because I'm sure that influenced you as well growing up and as you grew into who you are today. Definitely. And one of the Native American elders that would come, her name was Marilyn. And Marilyn would come for a day and a half, two-day workshop, and in the living room, all the furniture would be cleared out. It would be transformed into a just an open area, and people would sit on the floor. And she actually channeled. So she would channel through her, similar to Esther Hicks channels Abraham through her, and this other person, Jock, who channels all these entities through him, collectively known as Lazarus. Great for people to look up that information, L-A-Z-A-R-I-S. has been doing this work for over 40 years. However, Marilyn would channel Ethan, who was a, a, a male entity, and she would change her American voice into um, Irish. So she would end up with an, 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 an Irish accent, and Ethan would be channeling through what people needed to hear in their life at that time. So there would be great question and answer sessions, and you're able to ask different questions. And uh, Marilyn would have Ethan answer the questions. And as a young teenager, it was fascinating to go through this experience. And I became very close with Marilyn. She ended up giving me a beautiful, I uh, remember, a stone that had a hole in the center of it. It was shaped as an, an arrow, like those arrows, like the arrow tips that are made out of stone that you would find in, in the deep forest from maybe the 1800s, right? Uh, Native Americans were shooting things. She gave me a beautiful stone with a hole in it and a leather strap that I would wear around my neck. And I wore that for years and it had that wonderful energy in it. And then we'd go out into the front yard and we would do a Native American medicine wheel with the sage and the smudging ceremony and the cleansing of the north, south, east, and west geographical poles. We'd be smudging and cleansing ourselves with the smudge sticks, and the wind would get really fierce during these ceremonies, and all the energies on Long Island and, and the beautiful town that I grew up in on Long Island, it just felt so vibrant and, and filled with great energy. So they were amazing experiences. Oh, that sounds incredible. It sounds like you almost would go on a a spirit walk with them when they when they came out there to do these well, when you were speaking to like Ethan, for instance, like you kind of get cheat codes to get some answers in life that you wouldn't normally get without going through well, I know I believe it's ayahuasca that would take you on like that that deep spirit journey where you go ahead and then go out on your own for a little bit. I know there's different versions, but it sounds kind of similar to that. When Susie said that, I was like, oh, it sounds like a spirit walk 
or a spirit journey that you got to do in your home. And that's so neat to me. It's a little sidetrack. It's just very, very fascinated by that. That is when you say a spirit walk and we didn't even have to go for a walk because what Marilyn was able to channel through with Ethan was we did go on a journey without the use of any substances because we do have the substance within us to be able to go within and find the answers that we're looking for. So the journey that we would go on without having to take too many steps was deep within ourselves. And I appreciate what you said, because that that is true. At a loss of words, I think that's so cool that you got to do that from such a young age and get that experience. It explains a lot about who you are, having known you for a few years. Like It makes sense that you went on the journey that you're on to now. Let's go back, let's forward, fast forward a little bit here and go back to college. Because you, you kind of left the story off at college. I'm curious, how did that accelerate more of your spiritual journey? And is college where you decided to become a chiropractor at then, I'm assuming? So when I went upstate in New York to undergraduate college, I majored in sociology because it's the only thing that on paper in that catalog, there was no computers back then. It's the only thing that I was reading through besides anthropology that made sense because sociology was about the study of people and cultures. And so I'm like, oh, and there was Native American stuff and and Mexico. And I had the travel bug in me from an early age. I always wanted to travel and meet new people and cultures. So in undergrad, I was able to take a semester break and travel to Mexico and live with a family and study for three weeks in Cuernavaca, Mexico at the Center for Bilingual and Multicultural Studies. And it was there living with this family, the grandmother was sent. She had this 13-year-old little terrier that had no teeth. And I asked, I'm like, what's with your dog with no teeth? And this was all in Spanish. I didn't know what I was really saying, but it translated. And she ended up telling me my dog has no teeth. And she reached into her pocket and she pulled out these candies that were in these wrappers, you know, these little cellophane paper wrappers that make those like crunchy noises when you unwrap them. And she unwrapped one and gave it to the dog and the dog ate the candy. So that's why the dog had no teeth. However, it was one of the places that I got to learn about the elderly and some spiritual practices of the Mayan culture. There's the Mayan runes throughout certain areas of Mexico and the ancient Mayan people and their spiritual practices. So that was in undergrad. And then when I graduated from undergrad, I came back home very briefly and went to work in a nursing home on Long Island, right in the town that I grew up in. And I had 267 grandparents for about nine months. And in that nursing home, learning all about these elderly people and their stories about their life and what hardships they had and losing children and working in the garment industries in Manhattan, owning Italian restaurants on Long Island, all of these beautiful people that exposed me to a lot of different stories. Some were spiritual, although they don't have to be spiritual in the sense that we're talking about. Just being with them and listening to them and being so present and connected with who they are and their stories is a spiritual experience in and of itself. Although while working at the nursing home, somebody recommended that I go to a chiropractor because I was a high-level baseball player 
as well. And they said that that will help your baseball performance. I went to a chiropractor. He told me about how chiropractic has everything to do with optimum life expression, full expression of life, optimum human performance on all levels, physical, emotional, spiritual, because chiropractic was founded upon philosophical and spiritual precepts and concepts of which are universal laws and universal practices. So that only made sense that I go into the chiropractic uh, profession. And that's how that happened. Interesting. Okay. I like that. So you got into chiropractic profession and then did that. I mean, you still do that currently, correct? Or did you actually step away from that at this point? I know you have a lot on your plate. So I thought you were still doing chiropractic. I do see some people for chiropractic here in Atlanta. I went from New York, drove down in 1992 to Atlanta to go to chiropractic college. And in chiropractic college, I made some amazing friends who are still my friends to this day, some just 30 years later. And I wrote for the school newspaper. I would write articles for the school paper while I was a student. And when I graduated from chiropractic college, opened up my first chiropractic practice of four practices. Every four years from 1996, we opened up another clinic until 2012, um, where I stepped away from practice and started working with chiropractic colleges to help recruit new prospective students for their chiropractic college program. So I've spent the last 10 years keeping my hands on some people. I spent the first 16 years after graduation growing these four practices and developing these wellness programs for those major corporations that you spoke of at the beginning. And in those corporations is where during my PowerPoint lecture presentations at these headquarters of these corporations, the employees would end up becoming patients of our clinics. So that's how we would fill up our clinics with these employees from these corporations. So I am getting quote unquote rabbit ears back into working with companies in Atlanta again to partner with them to bring these wellness programs into their companies at the same time working for a chiropractic college that's in New Zealand. I I cover all of North America, Canada, and the U.S. to find chiropractic students that want to go over to the New Zealand College of Chiropractic. So, yeah, I'm still heavily involved in the chiropractic industry, things of that nature. Awesome. So you're almost like a recruiter for, for lack of a better term, a recruiter for the New Zealand clinic out there. I remember seeing a bunch of your travels out that way. I was like, oh, I was like, I wonder how he got out there. Like, that's not close, but it's amazing. I was excited to see the journey and, and everything there. I'm curious though. So you went from chiropractor. You then at what point did you said you want to be a transformational life coach? Because that's really, I mean, I can attest to this. You, we, we talked about this back in 20, I want to say 2021 ish. And I told you, I was like, I felt lost at that moment. I knew I wasn't happy with where I was and who I was. I didn't have a lot of great relationships. I knew I wasn't happy in Illinois and I knew that I wasn't happy in my current career path which was pretty much not even a career path at the moment. It's just going from contract job to contract job. And you helped guide me to figure out that 
human resources, something excited me and that Colorado is where I needed to be. And so I applied to University of Colorado to get my degree out here. And here I am. I'm at the love of my life. I have a baby boy on the way. So I can attest that you are an amazing life coach because even the short amount of time that we work together, you helped me clear my vision to create this. I'm just kind of curious how you went from chiropractic work to becoming a transformational life coach. Like I, I see the correlation. I'm just curious how you went. Yeah, that actually happened before chiropractic. It has a lot to do with the Native American uh, workshops and being guided by Marilyn through her channeling Ethan, um, mentioning certain things about me working directly and one-on-one with people to help, as you say, guide them. More of a guide versus, let's just leave it at that, where I like, I really tune in with the person spiritually, intuitively to hear where they're at, not only from what the person is saying, however, what they're not saying, what their body is saying, and reading all of this And then having information pass through me that the recipient, the client, is ready to hear, not needs to hear. Nobody needs to hear anything because somebody can say so much, although if they're not ready and at a point where they're able to listen, then it's not going to be heard. So through the Native American experiences and then also through my 15-year experience with a spiritual community here in Atlanta and working with a teacher for that period of time who was also a master in many respects, one of them being NLP and neuro-linguistic programming, of which Tony Robbins is, that's where Tony Robbins really got his, his own breakthrough. And he talks about breakthroughs in that Tony Robbins, it was a little similar with me, Tony Robbins studied every course, every book, every seminar under the sun, and even mentored with Jim Rohn for a while. It wasn't until John Grinder and Richard Bandler put together neuro-linguistic, neuro-linguistic programming, and when Tony found that, and he was one of the first students of neuro-linguistic programming, that was it. He took everything else that he had learned put it all together with NLP, and then he had his breakthrough and took off. When I studied decades ago with the Native Americans and then had my spiritual teacher and master for 15 years, and I myself through the different books and seminars and my teachers and studying and becoming a master trainer of neuro-linguistic programming, NLP myself, It all came together and that's how that journey looks. Nice. Uh, I mean, that's an incredible journey. You got to work with so many amazing people. I'm a little bit, for lack of a better term, peanut butter and jelly. It's actually my favorite term. (laughs) Rather than saying, oh, I'm jealous. I love saying peanut butter and jelly. It's more fun because, I mean, you've got to work with Eckhart. It's Tolle, correct? I've always, I never really know how to pronounce his last name. And like you said, you've learned from Tim Robbins, all of them. Now, with the... We kind of talked about this a little bit, but with prior to the call, with the holiday season coming up, I really kind of want to talk a little bit more specific with some of the information that you have on creating purpose, finding your your gift as your purpose, because that's something that really, really excites me. I know there's going to be a lot of people who will take a lot away from this. And this is right in a time frame where most people are super motivated to 
kind of create a new you or find yourself. I don't like really saying create a new you because I don't think you have to create a new you. You are who you're supposed to be in that moment. But at the same time, for ease of understanding, I feel like that's the easy way for me to word it. But I'd love to hear about how you can cultivate and create a your gift as a purpose. Use your gift as a purpose. Yeah, well, I'll, I'm going to get into that, although I want to mention this series of novels that I just wrote. The title of the book number one, and there's five books in the series, the title is Train of Transformation. As you know, it's available on Amazon. During the pandemic, when my travel was shut down, and I had always wanted to write novels, um, again, they were gifted to me as a child by my mom, and these stories captivated me about these people that were going in search of something. They didn't know what it was. It ended up being that they were going in search of themselves. And it's a wonderful journey to go on. And those people that have typically the most amount of challenge in their life, the most amount of friction, being exposed to relationships from a, either a young age or wh whatever point in life you're exposed to it, that creates this internal friction that drives the person to go in search of, let's call it, for the lack of a better term, the miraculous. Being in search of the miraculous, which is within all of us. That's actually a book, In Search of the Miraculous, that was written by G.I. Gurdjieff, who was another phenomenal teacher who went in search of and went, ended up going from... I believe it was Armenia at the time and Russia in the late 1800s to the remote mountains of Tibet in the Far East and came across this secret school of knowledge, this brotherhood called, called the Sarmang Brotherhood, where he learned these ancient teachings, ancient movements known as sacred gymnastics and brought this information to France, where he opened up a school called the Harmonious Development of Man, and where he had many students that came. Some of them lived there, and they would work. They would clear the grounds. They would paint the buildings. They would cook the meals, because he talked about how when you're in work, you're focused. There's only that thing that you could be doing at that moment in time, yet one of the things he taught, taught and talked about is that's true for the body, and the body is always in the present moment, yet our thoughts are typically somewhere else completely. And where those thoughts typically are, and I'm answering your question from the end, and I'm going back to the beginning of it. So our thoughts are either in the past or the future. We're not thinking about the present moment and where we are right now because there's nothing to think about when you're in the now. We're constantly up in our thoughts, either thinking about what happened in the past, which is where most people's regrets reside, and would have, could have, should have, should have, if only I did this, versus our thoughts are either in, not in the past, they'll be in the future. And when we're constantly consumed with our thoughts about things that are going to be coming up, which we don't even know if they're going to, that's where most people's worry and anxiety comes from. So we have no control over what happened in the past because it already happened. And we have no control about what's going to be coming up in the future because it hasn't arrived yet. 
So if we have no control over all this stuff that we're thinking about, it might behoove the listener to get super present with what it is they have going on in their life right now, which is their gift. And it's, you've heard this before, a, a gift is synonymous with a present. A present is a gift. And your gift is very simple to know. It's the thing that you do the absolute best with the least amount of effort. I'll say that again. Your gift is very simple to know. It's the thing that you do the absolute best with the least amount of effort. The problem is most people want their gift to be what somebody else's gift is. So it's really important that we identify our own gift and you don't have to go too far. It's not as you were talking about earlier with the Native Americans going on this spiritual walk. We don't have to go to Machu Picchu or to Tibet or to these remote ops to find it. It's not hidden under a rock in some river. It's not at the top of a tree. We each have this, what I like to refer to as a treasure chest within us. And all the jewels, all of the gems you brought with you in, they're inside of you within that treasure chest within you. However, because we live according to being programmed and conditioned by a society that's driven from an external viewpoint and vantage point, that we're taught that everything good must be outside of us. We look outside of ourselves for all the answers and all of these shiny objects. So my quote unquote, because it's not mine, I channel the information through me that the universe is providing. I take no credit for it. I listen to what the person is sharing with me, where they're at. That information then gets sent into a vortex in the universe of infinite energy. And the information comes back through me to the person sitting across from me, either one-on-one -on -one in person or on the screen. And you've experienced it. It's what you were looking for. I provide some arrows and pointers along the way. So then you use the eyes that you grew in your mother's womb and the ears that you grew to hear the words that I was saying, to see the pointers and the arrows. And then the question is, what is the person willing to do about it at that point in time. They're either going to take that leap of faith and take the jump off of the edge of the cliff and know that they're going to be supported by the universal wind that's up underneath their wings so they can fly and have this life of abundance and prosperity and gratitude. And gratitude is an important word to think about for a moment. If you, Jason, and the listener, just for a moment, can think about one thing that you're grateful for in this moment. And when you get into that state of gratitude, which is also known as the universal state of receivership, when you're in gratitude, you're in a universal state of receivership. You're going to receive that which you are longing to manifest when you're in that state. And when you're in a state of gratitude, it's useful to observe this feeling that comes over you. It is also an ultimate state, not only of receivership, of universal connection. 
you're in a state of connection with all that there is in the universe when you're in a state of gratitude. I like that. I've been practicing a lot of gratitude lately in my life. And I have noticed that a lot more things that I needed in my life are coming through, not just because I'm grateful, but because I think I'm manifesting the good energy that I want out there in life. And so I've noticed it coming back tenfold. Not that I'm looking for anything to come back. It's just one of those things where, as you said, when you put this energy out there, it comes back around to you and it, it creates, this is exactly what you said, but it creates so much goodness in my life is what I've figured out with grateful gratefulness. And I never really understood gratitude until probably past like five, six months when I've really delved into practicing it. So I love that you talked about that and explained it to you know, in, in detail because you explained it so eloquently as well. Oh, but sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I, just, I had to make a side note on the gratitude because it's something I definitely have experienced myself. And I see the, the importance of it. Well, that's wonderful. And you're not interrupting me. This is your podcast. I'm your guest. I'm grateful that you had me on today. Just the last piece I'd enjoy touching on about your gift being your purpose is that the way you can identify what your gift is, is to answer four or five simple questions. Number one is, what do I want? So if people are going to look to engage in their purpose and have a life of joy and happiness and abundance. That's the first question to, uh, to ask yourself. What do I want? Not what does somebody else want me to want for myself? No, you have to get super selfish and clear out all of that. All the people get quiet, get a pad and pen and answer that question. What do I want? Number two, what would that do for me specifically? What would that do for me specifically? Oh, wow. Now I'm setting some healthy boundaries around my gift, around my purpose, getting a little bit self-centered, getting a little bit selfish. Yes, because you came to this world for yourself first today, practicing self-care by identifying what do I want? What would that do for me specifically? Number three, what do I love? Do I love spending my time doing traveling, cooking, cleaning, listening to people, helping people? Whatever it may be, make an exhaustive list of everything that you love to do. The next question to ask yourself, and this is super important, probably one of the most important questions is, what are my unique talents? What am I talented at? Because if you are not talented in this thing, now you could learn it. That may take some time, but we're all born with a set of unique talents. And get clear on what you're talented at. And then the next question to identify is, what does the world need? What does the world need? If you want to spend 50, 60 years at something that you're going to go to and, and play at, not go to work. It works. It's, all right, you worked enough. It's great. You worked hard. Now go play for 60 years. It's something that you love, that you're talented at, because that answers the last question, which is what can I be paid for? What you could be paid for is figuring out the, what the world needs. And what the world needs is people doing what they love that are talented at the thing. So when these people that are going to listen to this can identify those things about themselves, then you just part the waters and you you go for it and don't look back. And there's going to be a lot of people that are going to say, well, why would you want to go do this? Like a friend of ours, Jody O'Donnell Ames and Build Your Life Resume. I just saw she posted something on Facebook today and we want to get this out to Jody so she listens to it. And she's been a massage therapist, I think it said. And now she's going to go get her master's degree in social work or 
counseling so she can go play at that. Yeah, I saw that. I was so happy for her. I messaged her. I said, oh, this is amazing. I said, I love it. I was like, you found another another purpose for yourself. I was like, so excited for you. I love, I love that. I love how you made that easy to understand in terms of how to find your gift of purpose. Uh, as you know, I love actual steps. Maybe that's like the ex-military me. I like having almost like a list in front of my face. I'm like, hey, read this. Okay. Now there's more to it than just that. But I love that. With that, I know our time is kind of coming to a close here, and I want to be respectful of your time as well. But I always like to end these interviews with just a few questions. First one being, if there's anything you want to touch up on, uh, anything you feel like you didn't get a chance to speak on, I'd love to give you a few moments to discuss that. Otherwise, I'll ask my little ending questions. I appreciate that. Just a couple quick things. I would love for people to go check out my novel, Train of Transformation, T-R-A-I-N, like a train, Train of Transformation on Amazon. It has to do with these five principles, which are forgiveness, love, acceptance, gratitude, and surrender, F-L-A-G-S, which are the five flags of transformation, forgiveness, love, acceptance, gratitude, surrender. That's the first book in a series of five. The second through the fifth will be coming out soon and they'll be sold as a box book set. So you can, they can buy the whole thing at once and they can read them all, you know, and they're 240 to 285 page novels. So I didn't know that that they were all going to come through me. They were channeled through me and awesome stuff. That's one thing. Another thing is right now I'm at capacity for my coaching. I'm not taking on any more coaching clients. I am super busy traveling and speaking and, and filling up some chiropractic colleges with students, keeping my hands on some people with chiropractic. So I do want to give a name of a person who does some uh, transformational life coaching as well for, for, for people and businesses, business people and everybody. And I mentioned him before. A friend of ours, John Samnick, his his coaching, it's called The Pivot Coach. So you could find John online as thepivotcoach.com. He's amazing. And that's that's probably it for now. You know, it's important to just keep learning and keep growing and keep connecting. And you never know, as uh, the, the, the son of the founder of chiropractic said, you never know how far reaching something that you may think, say, or do today can affect the lives of countless millions of people tomorrow. So that leaves me with this for you, Jason. Ask yourselves the question that goes like this, and it comes from that book called A Course in Miracles. Every day when you wake up, have gratitude and give thanks for this day. Number one. And then ask the question out loud, where would you have me go? What would you have me do? What would you have me say and to who? Be at a high level of service. Give of yourself, love, do, and be of service at a high level without looking for anything in return. Love that. Absolutely love that. That's a great way to end it there. But I do have two questions for you. I, I always like to end it with these two, sometimes three but I want to be wary of your time as well. So first question, if you could have any superpower out there, what would be your superpower and why? If I could, 
Yes. Yeah, it would be the superpower of listening. I knew you were going to say something that was going to make me ponder some more here. I love that. Well, because the reason is, is because I find that I, I do a lot of speaking and a lot of talking. And I also would find myself when I'm in a conversation with others, thinking about what it is that I want to say next. And the power of listening, that would be super. Yep, I agree. That's the first time anyone's ever said that. And didn't list like a X-Men superpower or anything like transportation or teleportation, flying, telekinesis. So I love that because that is actually something that you can apply. You can actually do. Not saying that somewhere down the road we might not be able to figure out teleportation or anything. But realistically speaking, listening is, is a tool we can actually enhance it with ourselves. So I love that. My next question, what is the best piece of advice you've ever received? Wow, the best piece of advice that I ever received is probably from a teacher of mine who goes by the name of Master Q. And Master Q said to be an observer in life for a while and see what happens. Because, do you want me to explain it a little bit? Yeah, yes, please, please go well, ahead. What he was referring to is that a human is a machine made up of a set of programs and conditions that is constantly operating from within, operating from, and the machine's not able to see itself as it's operating, as it's functioning on a daily basis from and through a set of already always programmed softwares that's inside and operating on this level of sleep, so to speak, um, where if we can use this power that we all have to simply observe the machine at work, it could be a fun experience where we can go make some popcorn and just sit there and not even watch the TV. We can just look at ourselves and observe ourselves and how we're reacting to people, how we're reacting to things, how we're so quick to judge and criticize and condemn and complain about others and ourselves and we're our own worst enemy and harshest critic. It's all day, all the time. So when he said, be an observer in life for a while and notice what happens, one of the things he would also say is from one thing, know a thousand. So from one thing, you can know a thousand other things. So within that one thing that I just shared with you, the best piece of advice from Master Q, probably back in 2000, was to be an observer in life for a while. So sure, observe what's all around you, but most importantly, observe your own machine at work and start taking inventory of how it operates and then notice what tweaks might have to be done to the machine in order for it to start operating at some higher levels, so to speak. Gotcha. That is incredible advice. It sounds like he was kind of... I mean, kind of, it sounds like he was trying to help you create presence within yourself so you can kind of understand more what's going on and how to be more intuitive within your own personal being so that you know what you're meant to do. That's incredible advice. I am so happy you pass it on here. I, I actually am going to come back, re-listen this, write that down and put that up on a quote in my, in my office there so I have that by me because I love that. It's going to be a great reminder. Excellent. With that, I do want to be conscious of your time. 
I am so grateful that you came on this interview with me today, David. I'm so grateful that you came into my life a few years back since 2020 and for all your help and your friendship and guidance. I know that these listeners are going to really, really enjoy this. And I just want to thank you again for your time. Oh, so it's my pleasure. It's great knowing you. I look forward to seeing you again at an event in the future. And until next time, and thank you so much, Jason. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend, leave us a review, and don't forget to follow us on social media for the latest updates and behind the scenes content.